How are you? You look great. You're doing all right? I love those uh, Why We Give videos there that we show. And speaking of giving, last week you brought in over 2,000 pounds of food for the local food bank. So give yourselves a hand for that. Good job. So just three more Sundays after today until Easter. This is a good year for, for an early Easter, don't you think? Yeah, better than last year. Last year this time, we were tunneling through like, like hamsters at these 20-foot-high snow banks, and uh, we all looked like hamsters. Uh, we're one-third of the way through our Daniel fast. Woo! Yeah, excited about that. <laughs> People are asking me, like, you okay? Like, how you doing? You, you all right? I feel good. Um, and really encouraged by how many of you are doing this. Like, like, really, like a lot of you are in on this. That's exciting. We're fasting for spiritual breakthrough. We're believing for uh, miracles and incredible things. And, uh, and I hope you had a great week. I had a great week, and I'm enjoying it so far. Um, Starbucks has been putting up posters with my face on it. It says, have you seen this man? <laughs> They're quite concerned. Uh, sales are down. Mountain Road, if you see a clothes sign on Mountain Road, uh, you'll know why. Uh, a few years ago, God clearly spoke to me and told me that we needed to share the, the Easter message with at least 4,000 people. And that's where the idea for the bunny blast uh, came from. I think we're going to throw that up on the screens there for you. That's where the bunny blast came from. How many of you have been to our bunny blast? All right, see, most of you. That, that's great. So... This thing, this bunny blast, it grows and grows every year. It's unreal. It's incredible. Um, and there's still, obviously, thousands of people around the city who are still just hearing about it and telling their friends, the bunny blast is better than coffee. I'm telling you. It's, it's that good. And every family or person that you know that has kids, uh, they're totally open to coming to this. They're looking for something fun to do with, with their family uh, over the Easter weekend, regardless of what they think of church or Easter or any of that, uh, they're open to, to coming to this deal. Uh, they will hear a very clear presentation of the Easter story. Every single person who comes to the Bunny Blast will hear a very clear presentation of the Easter story. It's Saturday, March the 26th from 8, 8 until noon. There are live animals. There are bounce castles, pancake breakfast, 40,000 Easter eggs. New this year is a Legoland, and uh, so the boys will be, well, maybe some girls too, be excited about that. Um, we've, uh, we'll have some information cards like that you can use as invites. There are posters available out at the information desk. We'd love for you to get your hands on those. And don't knock it because it's called the Bunny Blast, okay? Don't knock it because of that. You might remember we did a Christmas production around here for 40 years called The Living Christmas Tree, and that did a pretty good job of sharing the gospel. So don't worry about Easter eggs and bunny blasts and all that stuff. We're, we're gonna, we'll have at least a couple thousand people come through on that Saturday morning. We'll share the gospel with them. Now, another one that's coming up is our Prime Student Ministries. Pastor Drew was out here doing the welcome this morning. Prime Student Ministries have a brand new Easter outreach for this year, and it's called the Hootin' Nanny. Yeah, all right. I had a nanny once, and she was a real hoot. I really did. She was hysterical. Um, their event is the Wednesday right before Easter, March 23rd, 6.30 till 9.30. And they are praying and believing that hundreds of teenagers will show up to this. They're going to have an extreme candy hunt. 
uh, carnival games, prizes, free food. So this is grade 6 through 12, and we need your help, okay? Each one of you is a, is a walking billboard for the Moncton Wesleyan Church and what we're doing. This is your church. This is what your church is doing to reach teenagers in this city over Easter, okay? So we need you to, to help us get the word out on that. Um, the student ministries prime has happy, helpful people in the atrium. Their little piece of real estate in the atrium is right beside starting point. So they would love to talk to you if you need to pick up some information about this uh, that you can give to teenagers or that, to families that you know. You can go to their Facebook page slash prime SM. That's P R Y S M E P R Y no prime P R Y M E. That's how they spell prime, SM for student ministries. Facebook that, same with the bunny blast. The best way to get the information out on that is Facebook. Help us get the word out. So we have the bunny blast. We have the hootenanny. We have uh, a Good Friday service. Uh, this year we're having our Good Friday service on Good Friday. Easy to remember, 10.30 in the morning, same time as uh, uh, morning worship, 10.30 in the morning. And we do those things because we want to share the story, the message of Jesus with as many people as possible. And we will have a crowd at the Hootenanny. We'll have a crowd at Good Friday. We'll have a crowd at the, at the Bunny Blast. And that's, that's good. That's exciting. But part of my prayer, uh, I, I, this is, I really need you to hear me on this. Part of my prayer for this Easter is that God would give each one of us specific opportunities for inviting others here, this, this auditorium right here on Easter Sunday morning, that we would see many people make the most important decision of their lives and choose to follow Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So I, I need you to be praying about that. Um, every, every empty seat that we have in this room is a soul that Jesus died for. We need to put seats on seats so we can put souls in heaven, okay? That's, that's the reason why we built this place, is to, is to pack it out with people who need to hear about Jesus Christ. So be praying about that. Um, make a list of people who you can invite for Easter Sunday morning. And, uh, and, uh, be, and not just make a list to pray about it, but be open to talking to those people. All of, all of history, God's story is an invitation. God's inviting us to, to be redeemed, to redemption. God has been pursuing us and inviting us back to a restored relationship with him. This book is an invitation. The Bible is an invitation. It's a love story. It shows us a God who loves us enough to send his own son into the world on a rescue mission for us that would cost his son his life. There's a rhythm in the Bible. There's this rhythm of go and tell and come and see. Go and tell and, and come and see. We're commanded uh, as Jesus' followers, to go into all the world. Uh, we see the invitation in the birth account of Jesus Christ. Angels sent from heaven, inviting people to come. Come and see what God has done. Come and see the, the Savior. The cross of Jesus Christ is an invitation in itself. Easter is an invitation. Three women arrive at the tomb to anoint Jesus' dead body with burial spices. But the stone is rolled away. And the only body there was an angel who invited, an angel who invites them to come in 
and see for themselves that Jesus is not there. As my good friend Andy Stanley says, nobody expected nobody. Nobody expected nobody. So we're going to start our series this morning called The Invitation. This is our Easter series, uh, building up to Easter Sunday morning, when I'm believing that we're going to pack this place out for Jesus and, uh, and have many people come to, to faith in Christ on Easter Sunday morning. That's where we're headed with this. We're going to start our series this morning in the book of Mark. And Mark starts his book with John the Baptist, the front runner for Jesus, preparing the way. And John is inviting people to come and, and to repent and to be baptized uh, because the Messiah is coming. Also in Mark chapter 1, Jesus calls out to his very first disciples. And, with, with, and he invites them. He gives them an invitation to come and, and follow me. And I will show you how to fish for people. Fishing for people is sharing the good news about Jesus. Fishing for people is sharing the good news of, about Jesus and who he is. It, it's, it's living an invitational lifestyle. It's loving people towards Jesus. I like the sound of that. Just loving people towards Jesus. Following Jesus with, with our lives in a compelling and attractive way. The people around you who know that you're a Jesus follower, is there something about your life that, that, that models the love of Jesus? Is it compelling and is, and is it attractive? Do people see something in you because you're a Christ follower that, that makes them ask questions and wonder what, what has gotten into you and, and want to know more about that? John the Baptist inviting people to be baptized. Jesus inviting people to follow him. Hmm. I wonder if there's a theme here in the beginning of Mark that, that Mark wants us to see. Is there something here we're supposed to notice and pick up on? Do we see a pattern? And in the very next chapter, chapter 2 of Mark, we have one of my absolute favorite portions of Scripture. And I've preached on this several times already. In the, in the, in the, it's, you know, it's coming up on four years that I've been back here at Monkey Watson. Can you believe that? Four. Yeah, I'm not making this up. I know when I came. It's coming up on four already. And I've preached on this text. I, you probably have it memorized. You've probably written music to it. I know that you, 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 could, you could preach this for yourselves because you've heard me preach this text several times over. But um, why not? We sing good songs over and over. So I'm going to preach this text again this morning. This text probably captures the, the vision of Moncton Wesleyan more than any other text. And our vision is we are people inviting people to experience and follow Jesus. Let me get a drink. If anybody's having a cough and you need some water, I've got half a bottle right here. We can, we can, we can help you with your cough. All right. Mark chapter 2. Ian was holding up his, his Contigo mug there. Ian, are you sharing? Go see Ian if you need a drink. Ian McDonald, right there. Okay. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus. Levi is Matthew, but we'll get to that later probably. He saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me. Follow me, Jesus says. And be my disciple. So Levi got up and followed him. 
later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. When the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? And when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. And I have come to call not only those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. So this is the second invitation of Jesus that we see in the book of Mark. The first one is inviting the disciples to come and follow him. And now we have Jesus inviting Matthew to come and, and follow him. And both of these invites that we see are to people who are somewhere out on the religious fringe. He doesn't go to the, to the, the core of the, the, the religious uh, people at the time. He, he's inviting people who are on, way out on the outside, fringe somewhere. Obviously, Jesus isn't looking for church people. Over in Luke uh, chapter 19, when Jesus invites himself to uh, Zacchaeus' home for dinner so that Zacchaeus could invite Jesus into his life, Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. And our primary mission is to go and to seek so that Jesus can save those who are spiritually lost. Verse 13, back to our text, Mark chapter 2, verse 13, tells us that Jesus goes to the, the lake shore where people are. He, he, he intentionally goes to find a crowd. And we need to be intentional about not spending all of our time with, with just people who are, who are already Christ followers in our, in our holy huddles. And it's easy to do because when you're a follower of Jesus, you want to be around people who, who think the same way. And you can share the same stories and talk about the same stuff. But when you get exclusive about that and you no longer have, have people in, in your path, people in your world who desperately need to know about Jesus, then, then your life just isn't having the evangelistic impact that it, that it could have. So we need to be intentional about not, getting, not spending all of our time just with Christ's followers. We need to go where lost people are, going to the marketplace and going into Tim Hortons and going into Starbucks or wherever people are. How do you know that someone isn't just, how do we know that someone, someone that you know, isn't just one invite away from, from coming to Jesus? One invite away from, from being in an environment where they can clearly hear the message of Jesus, where God can, can speak to them and, and, and the Holy Spirit can break into their life and, and the, the walls can come down and the lights can go on and they can see their need for Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this this morning. This is, this is not rhetorical, so a little participation here. How many of you came to Monk the Westland the very first time someone invited you? So you said, yeah, sure, yeah, I'll go. The very first time. Okay, some of you, that's cool. All right, all right, very cool. How many of you would say, oh, it was probably took two or three invites? It took a little, all right, all right. How many of you are in the more like, uh, you can't remember how many invites it took. It was more like 10, 12, 20. They just kept, they just kept, they wouldn't shut up. They just kept at me and at me and at me. And then, and then you said, okay, if you'll be quiet, I'll, I'll go with you. And you're here. And, and the Holy Spirit got a hold of your life. How do we know who else around us is, is not just 
maybe just not one invite away from coming or two or three, but, but, but you, the Holy Spirit uses those invites. We know it's true. Rather than, than, than waiting back just to see who comes, Jesus engages people where they are. And he goes to the lakeside where he can find a crowd and get right in there with them. I love it. Okay, back to verse 13. We'll put it up on the screen here so we can point this out. Jesus went to the lakeshore again, and, and he taught the crowds. And he taught the crowds. I want to I pull those words out for us. He taught the crowds. Whenever you are tempted to interpret something like, like this series, the invitation, or a build-up to Easter, whenever you're tempted to think of those things as an attendance drive just to get a crowd, poke yourself in the eyes. Okay, that's what I want you to do. When you're tempted to think this is all about numbers and they just want a crowd, I, I want you to, to poke yourself or, or get a good friend of yours to poke you right in the eyes. In the, and I'm going to tell you why. In the greater mountain area where most of our communities uh, where most of the, in our communities, where our people drive from to get, get here, most of you, a lot of you people um, drive 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes to, to come to church, okay? In the greater Moncton area, there are about 140,000 people. Now, roughly uh, 27,000 of those would say that they go to church about once a month. And it's probably lower than that because people don't tell the truth on these types of things, right? They, they think that they go more than they do. So 140,000 people and maybe 27,000 of them go once a month. Well over 100,000 people in the greater Moncton area are not sitting in church on a Sunday morning. That's our mission field. I could give you 100,000 reasons why we need to be doing what we're doing. That's why we need an urgency around this. So our, if, if, you, if you think of it as a, an attendance drive or church growth or whatever, what we're really trying to do is put hell out of business. That's what we're really trying to do. And we desperately care for people. This is, this is not some shallow, watered-down, hyped-up nonsense to get attendance. We are not a mile wide and an inch deep. We are others wide and Jesus deep. We do, and we do have at Moncton Westland, Christ-centered, God-honoring, majesty-declaring worship. Do we not? Do we not? You, well, you wouldn't be here. I'm preaching to the choir. We do preach and we do teach God's word. We don't shy away from sin and repentance and confession. We call people to stand to their feet declaring Jesus Christ as Lord. We invite people to the altar to get their lives right with Jesus Christ. And so teaching was a very important part of Jesus' ministry. He went to the lakeshore and he taught the crowds. Teaching was a very important part of his ministry. And it's an important part of our church but we don't want you to just show up. We want you to grow up. We want you to grow up in Jesus Christ and learn what it means to be a follower. You can't just, you, but, but, but it's got to be more than that. Like we can't just sit here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday saying, feed me, feed me, feed me. You know, come on, feed me more, feed me more. At some point, we've got to go out and tell others where they can find the bread of life. Well, David Wade liked it. That's good. 
And I'm paying you, so you're, you know, you're down there. Amen. Amen. That was good preaching. I know you're sincere. In teaching by the lake, um, going into that crowd, Jesus shows us that his message is for everyone. It's public. It's for the masses. And it's okay to draw a crowd. Being a small church doesn't make you holier. And being a large church doesn't make you worldly. All right, I'll get off that one. Verse 14, thank you, Shirley. I'm not paying her. <laughs> verse 14. Where are we here? Let me find it. Oh, verse 14. Somebody took it out. Oh, there it is. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus. Levi is Matthew. It's two names for the same person. We see that a lot in Scripture. Son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth, follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said. Levi, get up and follow me. The Greek word here for follow is that word right there that I'm not even going to... It's that word. I have a master's degree, but I'm not even going to try to pronounce that word. That word is not fair. <clears throat> that word right there, that's the Greek word for follow. And uh, it's a unique word because it's only used when it refers to the, the disciples of Jesus following Jesus. It occurs 19 times in the book of Mark, and it captures the proper response to faith in Jesus. And as we saw on the screen here, this is what it means. It means if you're following Jesus, it means to engage in as a calling or a way of life. So following Jesus is not just what you think about him, or what you believe to be true about him, following Jesus is something that you do. It's active. It's an active faith. It, it involves risk. It involves cost. It's letting go of everything that would hold you back. It's dying to self. It's taking up your cross. Like Matthew, literally walking away from your old life and being led by the Son of God wherever his will, wherever his desire would take you. Following Jesus is more than a decision you make. It's a lifestyle that you choose. It is full, total, complete surrender. And we want to be clear about that here at Moncton Wesleyan Church. If you, at the end of this service, if you stand to your feet to accept him as Lord, if you raise a hand to accept him as Lord, or write it down on a Connect card, however it is that you come to make that decision, we want you to know that following Jesus is more than just a decision that you make. It's a lifestyle that you choose. You are saying from this day forward, this is the way that I will, I will live my life. And, 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 and his, I invite his Holy Spirit to come into my life and to control my life, and I'll go where he leads me, and I'll do what he, what he wants me to do, and I will, I will just, I'll be called to it. I will follow with my whole entire life, full, total, complete surrender. Now, in case you weren't here, one of the 17 times I've already preached on this text, a little context as to why Jesus walking up to Matthew and inviting him to follow him was so jaw-dropping, incredible. Matthew is basically running a toll booth. Palestine is under Roman occupation and control. And to be a tax collector means that you've turned 
your back on your, on your Jewish heritage. You've, just, you've walked away from that. Your religion, your community, your upbringing, your family, everything. And you've chosen as a career to crawl in bed with the, the Herods and Rome and for a life of greed. And you are therefore, by your community, you are deemed unclean because, you, because you, you, you're a traitor. You've gone to the other side and they just deem you unclean. You're a disgrace. Um, you couldn't be a witness in, in court. They wouldn't take your word for it. You were just deemed untrustworthy, not suitable to be a witness in court. If you even touch my house, tax collector, if you even touch my property, my whole property becomes unclean. If I'm begging on the street in destitution and a tax collector gives me money, I can't keep it, I can't touch it. Tax collectors were just this constant reminder of the, of the Roman domination that people were under. They were lower than the low in a class of their own. And you are better off in this society, you are better off to touch a leper because at least the leper didn't choose their sickness. And that's how tax collectors were treated. So Jesus is obviously making a statement, walking right up to Matthew's table. This is, this is a game-changing, grace-giving, mercy-loving statement of Jesus that his message, this good news, is like water. It flows to the lowest point. You cannot outsin the grace of God, is what Jesus says to Matthew when he walks up to his table. He says, I don't care what everybody else thinks about you, what everybody else says about you. My grace is like water, and it flows to the lowest point. There is nothing you can do to make God love you any less. And Jesus, the rabbi, goes where no other rabbi had ever gone before. It's good news. It's good news. Now, between verses 14 and 15, something happens to Matthew that needs to happen to us. And, and there's something here that we're, we're going to pull out, we're going to draw out this morning that, that I believe there's something here between verses 14 and 15 that happens to Matthew that can change the world. There is, there is an awakening. Matthew goes from, from not knowing Jesus to knowing Jesus to promoter of Jesus, between verses 14 and 15. In his salvation experience, in his, in his experience of getting up and walking away from his table and answering the call of Jesus on his life and choosing to follow Jesus and to be his disciple, there is something so real and so genuine and so life-changing that it just it, it spontaneously overflows. It just, it, just, it just comes out of Matthew and results in him inviting others to come and experience Jesus as well. And because Matthew's relationship with Jesus is real and it's fresh and it's current, he, he, just, he just naturally thinks of, of, man, well, I need to invite this person, I need to invite them, and I need to, and I need to invite them. It, it, it just overflows out of his heart, out of love, out of compassion, out of passion, out of urgency. He immediately wants all of his friends to come and know Jesus, to experience what he has experienced. See, the distance from when you first accepted Jesus and where you are now is not supposed to make you dim. It's not supposed to put out your fire the longer that you've been with Jesus, right? The longer I serve him, 
the sweeter he grows. Some of you know that old song, all right? 20 years with Jesus. You've been following Jesus for 20 years. You should be an inferno for Jesus Christ. Think about it. What should 20 years of following the master do in your life? You should be unstoppable for the kingdom of God. 50 years with Jesus and you should be a volcano. Imagine 50 years of walking with Jesus, walking with the Holy Spirit, having him, see, it's, it, distance between when you first came to him and where you are now is not supposed to make it go dim. It should set us on fire. Some of you remember the fire you had for Jesus when you first came to Jesus. Did someone not tell you that that's not supposed to go out? You're not supposed to lose that. The longer you're with him, the more that you know him, the more that you, he's proven himself true in your life. You can depend on him. You have this, this wealth of, of relationship with Jesus Christ. And here's Matthew between, somewhere between verses 14 and 15. And he's thinking, everybody needs to know about this. This is, this is incredible. And he's unstoppable. Some of you here this morning are new believers. And you're telling people what Jesus is doing in your life. Don't ever lose that. You're not supposed to. Don't ever lose that. Here's the point. Matthew got this. This can change the world. This, this could unlock revival in our community. Here's the point. This, this is what happened to Matthew. Followers of Jesus are inviters to Jesus. This, okay. I hope we're getting this. Maybe it's just hitting hard and, and, you're, and the wheels are turning and the Holy Spirit's... Yeah, we'll go with that one. Okay. Followers of Jesus are, need to be, should be, this, this is God's plan. This is, this is the way it is. This is... This is God's plan for redemption. You are God's plan. Not just us. I know that. It's not like we got the whole city to ourselves. I know, I know that. But let's just, just say corporately of, of the, the Jesus followers in the city of Moncton, this is God's plan. That, that those who follow Jesus would be inviters to Jesus. And Matthew instinctively thinks I'm going to throw a party. Now, how many of you do that? Right after you come to Jesus, you think, we need, we need to have a party. We need to celebrate. I'm going to throw a party, and I'm going to invite all of my unsaved friends. Don't do it until after the Daniel fast, because they'll all think, you know, coming to Jesus means I've got to eat grass the rest of my life. Matthew thinks, a party, yep, a party, let's do that. I'm going to invite all my tax collectors, friends, some of the town's most disreputable sinners, the people who are out on the margins, held at arm's length by everyone else, because, because I know that Jesus will embrace them. He will love them. They will see something different in Jesus than they have ever seen before. In Moncton Western Church, myself included, if Jesus doesn't look attractive to others, it's our own fault. Some of you didn't like that. 
if the church, and, I, and let's, let's, make, let's make this personal, if this church is not attractive in our city as a place of grace, mercy, love, acceptance, and forgiveness, it's our own fault. If Moncton, if greater Moncton does not know that they can walk in here and experience grace, love, mercy, acceptance, forgiveness, if they don't know that, it's our fault. God help us. The church should be the place that everyone turns to for hope and healing. Like the, when people think, what am I going to do? They should think, I'll go to church. But they don't. God help us. There is nothing like the local church when the local church is working right. We are dealers in hope. We're dealers in hope. There are times when our English translations of Scripture don't quite give us the whole picture of what was going on. The actual Greek of verse 15 has Jesus um, reclining at the table. So the table would have been a much lower deal, a couple of feet off the floor, and Jesus is literally laying on the floor with his back to the table. Everyone else is too, around the table. This is what they're doing. This is, this is uh, giving you permission to eat on the couch. And you say, well, well, Jesus reclined when he ate. Why can't I? So there you go. Go ahead. It's okay. <laughs> I see all these men getting in trouble. Pastor Tim said I could. Get off the couch. Anyhow, table, laying down, back to the table. They're kind of reclining there. It's mentioned on four occasions in the book of Mark. And each time that Jesus is reclining at the table, it's either with a group of sinners or with someone who is sick. It's a reminder that Jesus came to be in relationship with people who are sick and spiritually lost. Jewish dietary laws forbid contact with Gentiles, especially at a dinner table. And so in this one meal, Jesus breaks down centuries of barriers and he ticks off the establishment and the religious crowd because relationship with the lost is more important than rules or religion. And people often see the church as being judgmental. Right, you've heard that. Reclining for dinner with the town's most notorious sinners, is not judgmental. Can you picture that scene? Because Jesus extends grace, because of his love and his grace, they're open to listening to his truth. By stepping into their world, Jesus can help them understand the things of God. Because Jesus loves them just as they are, where they are, that he has the opportunity then to lead them into repentance and forgiveness and into new life. He loves us as we are, but he doesn't leave us as we are. Are you thankful for that this morning? God loves you as you are, but he doesn't leave you as you are. And like the sower of Mark chapter 4, who throws his seed generously, Jesus will not miss an opportunity to be with those who need him the most. He's casting seeds of grace, and some will accept him and some won't, but it will not be because they didn't feel unloved or didn't feel accepted by Jesus. Verse, uh, let's read verses 16 and 17. When the teachers of religious law 
who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? Imagine. And when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick do. And I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Imagine a clinic that only takes healthy people. Or a hospital that doesn't accept sick people. Oh, you're wiping your nose? Sorry, you can't come in. We don't, take, we don't take people like that at this hospital. We only take healthy people in this hospital. If you're too sick for the hospital, where do you go? Fairhaven? Ferguson's like, just drop me off there, I guess. I'm going to turn to Romans chapter 5. I'll read a few verses here from the Apostle Paul to help us understand what Jesus was doing here. Romans chapter 5. Now let me get my glasses on. I might have been able to see this if I wasn't on the Daniel fast, but right now. Listen to this. Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. We're all born. You're born broken. Okay, it's Adam, Adam's fault. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a relationship with God and new life for everyone. <laughs> Great news. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. All of us. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. That as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I love Paul's words, grace rules. Grace rules, not Grace Canes, wherever she is, over, not you, Grace, but God's grace. Grace rules. Sin doesn't rule. The world doesn't rule. It can, it can seem like it some days. It can feel like it sometimes. But do not be fooled, church, and do not be discouraged. Grace rules. Grace wins. And Jesus goes into Matthew's home, and he reclines at the table with a group of notorious sinners because grace rules. And he wants them to see that they're not trapped in their sins. They don't have to stay where they are. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That God has come to be the bridge that restores their relationship with their creator. It's good news. It's good news. Grace rules. Here's our response this morning. Here's our response. We're about to respond. You're not responding to me. You're not responding to uh, the song or to the band. The band's going to come out. They're going to lead us in I Surrender. We, we sang it before uh, the offering, and we're going to sing it again, I Surrender. And here's our response this morning. We need to be thankful for grace. Maybe you just want to come this morning and worship God for who he is, be thankful for the grace of God in your life, that he loved you as you were, but he didn't leave you as you were. He loves us as we are, but he doesn't leave us as we are. We need the nearness of our relationship with Jesus Christ. If you've been serving God for a long time and, 
and the fire's just not there, and the, 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 the burden for spiritually lost people, the urgency to see others come to know Jesus Christ, if that's, if that's gone dim, I invite you to come this morning. We need broken hearts and renewed urgency for spiritually lost people. We need this as a church. To be praying for this, and this, especially in this Easter season, God help us. Maybe you want to come to the altar this morning and pray specifically for someone that you know who does not know Jesus. You want to come on their behalf and just kneel here and, and pray on their behalf this morning. Kneel or stand, either one doesn't matter. Maybe you need to come this morning and, and pray for fire and boldness and say, God, I'm nervous about this. I'm apprehensive. I'm a little scared. I, I don't know what to say. And, and I just... Give me a boldness about this. Maybe you want to come and ask God that, to be with us during this Easter season. That Maybe you just want to come and pray for revival. Lord, that would, you, would you just help us reach many, many, many people for Jesus? Maybe you need to know Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and, and the Holy Spirit's been talking to you and you realize you do not yet have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And maybe you want to stand up, step out of your seat, come to the front this morning. And just, just be down here at the front of this church saying, Jesus, I'm yours. I invite you to come into my life, to be my Lord and my Savior. Let's all stand together. Lord, again this morning, I thank you for your word, the power of your word to go deep into our hearts carried by your Holy Spirit that is here in this room this morning, that is in our, in our lives, teaching us, leading us. Help us, Lord, to be an obedient people. Help us, Lord, not to be normal church or average church or satisfied church. Help us to be a broken church. Help us to be a caring church. Help us to be a church that just will not stop because we, we care for people who are spiritually lost. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would call us to our knees, that you would break our hearts, that you would, that you would fill us with holy fire and passion again. So be with us now, Lord, as we surrender, worship to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.